Welcome to the Horror Babble Podcast. The Abominations of Yondo by Clark Ashton Smith The sand of the desert of Yondo is not as the sand of other deserts, for Yondo lies nearest of all to the world's rim, and strange winds, blowing from a pit no astronomer may hope to fathom, have sown its ruinous fields with the grey dust of corroding planets, the black ashes of extinguished suns. The dark, orb-like mountains which rise from its wrinkled and pitted plain are not all its own, for some are fallen asteroids half buried in that abysmal sand. Things have crept in from nether space, whose incursion is forbid by the gods of all proper and well-ordered lands, but there are no such gods in Yondo, where live the hoary genii of stars, abolished and decrepit demons left homeless by the destruction of antiquated hells. It was noon of a vernal day when I came forth from that interminable cactus forest in which the inquisitors of Ong had left me, and saw at my feet the grey beginnings of Yondo. I repeat, it was noon of a vernal day, but in that fantastic wood I had found no token or memory of a spring, and the swollen, fulvous dying and half-rotten growths through which I had pushed my way were like no other cacti, but bore shapes of abomination scarcely to be described. The very air was heavy with stagnant odours of decay, and leprous lichens mottled the black soil and russet vegetation with increasing frequency. Pale green vipers lifted their heads from prostrate cactus bowls, and watched me with eyes of bright ochre that had no lids or pupils. These things had disquieted me for hours past, and I did not like the monstrous fungi, with hewless stems and nodding heads of poisonous mauve, which grew from the sodden lips of fetid tarns, and the sinister ripples spreading and fading on the yellow water at my approach were not reassuring to one whose nerves were still taut from unmentionable tortures. Then, when even the blotched and sickly cacti became more sparse and stunted, and rills of ashen sand crept in among them, I began to suspect how great was the hatred my heresy had aroused in the priests of Ong, and to guess the ultimate malignancy of their vengeance. I will not detail the indiscretions which had led me, a careless stranger from far-off lands, into the power of those dreadful magicians and mysteriarchs who serve the line-headed Ong. These indiscretions, and the particulars of my arrest, are painful to remember, and least of all do I like to remember the racks of dragon-guts strewn with powdered adamant, on which men are stretched naked, or that unlit room with six-inch windows near the sill, where bloated corpse-worms crawled in by hundreds from a neighbouring catacomb. Sufficient to say that, after expending the resources of their frightful fantasy, my inquisitors had borne me blindfolded on camelback for incomputable hours, to leave me at morning twilight in that sinister forest. I was free, they told me, to go whither I would, and in token of the clemency of Ong, they gave me a loaf of coarse bread and a leathern bottle of rank water by way of provision. It was at noon of the same day that I came to the desert of Yondo. So far I had not thought of turning back for all the horror of those rotting cacti or the evil things that dwelt among them. Now I paused knowing the abominable legend of the land to which I had come, for Yondo is a place where few have ventured wittingly and of their own accord. 
fewer still have returned, babbling of unknown horrors and strange treasure, and the lifelong palsy which shakes their withered limbs, together with the mad gleam in their starting eyes, beneath whitened brows and lashes, is not an incentive for others to follow. So it was that I hesitated on the verge of those ashen sands, and felt the tremor of a new fear in my wrenched vitals. It was dreadful to go on, and dreadful to go back, for I felt sure that the priests had made provision against the latter contingency. So after a little I went forward, singing at each step in loathly softness, and followed by certain long-legged insects that I had met among the cacti. These insects were the colour of a weak-old corpse, and were as large as tarantulas, but when I turned and trod upon the foremost, a mephitic stench arose that was more nauseous even than their colour. So for the nonce I ignored them as much as possible. Indeed, such things were minor horrors in my predicament. Before me, under a huge sun of sickly scarlet, yonder reached interminable as the land of a hashish dream against the black heavens. Far off, on the utmost rim, were those orb-like mountains of which I have told, but in between were awful blanks of grey desolation, and low, treeless hills like the backs of half-buried monsters. Struggling on, I saw great pits where meteors had sunk from sight, and divers' coloured jewels that I could not name glared or glistened from the dust. There were fallen cypresses that rotted by crumbling mausoleums, on whose lichen-blotted marble fat chameleons crept with royal pearls in their mouths. Hidden by the low ridges were cities of which no stellar remained unbroken, immense and immemorial cities lapsing shard by shard, atom by atom, to feed infinities of desolation. I dragged my torture-weakened limbs over vast rubbish heaps that had once been mighty temples, and fallen gods frowned in rotting passamite, or leered in riven porphyry at my feet. Over all was an evil silence, broken only by the satanic laughter of hyenas, and the rustling of adders in thickets of dead thorn or antique gardens given to the perishing nettle and fumitory. Topping one of the many mound-like ridges, I saw the waters of a weird lake, unfathomably dark and green as malachite, and set with bars of profulgent salt. These waters lay far beneath me in a cup-like hollow, but almost at my feet on the wave-worn slopes were heaps of that ancient salt, and I knew that the lake was only the bitter and ebbing dregs of some former sea. Climbing down, I came to the dark waters, and began to lave my hands, but there was a sharp and corrosive sting in that immemorial brine, and I desisted quickly, preferring the desert dust that had wrapped me about like a slow shroud. Here I decided to rest for a little, and hunger forced me to consume part of the meagre and mocking fare with which I had been provided by the priests. It was my intention to push on, if my strength would allow, and reach the lands that lie to the north of Yondo. These lands are desolate, indeed, but their desolation is of a more usual than that of Yondo, and certain tribes of nomads have been known to visit them occasionally. If fortune favoured me, I might fall in with one of these tribes. The scant fare revived me, and, for the first time in weeks of which I had lost all reckoning, I heard the whisper of a faint hope. The corpse-coloured insects had long since ceased to follow me, and so far, despite the eeriness of the sepulchral silence and the mounded dust of timeless ruin, I had met nothing half so horrible as those insects. I began to think that the terrors of Yondo were somewhat exaggerated. It was then that I heard a diabolic chuckle on the hillside above me. 
The sound began with a sharp abruptness that startled me beyond all reason, and continued endlessly, never varying its single note like the mirth of an idiotic demon. I turned and saw the mouth of a dark cave fanged with green stalactites, which I had not perceived before. The sound appeared to come from within this cave. With a fearful intentness I stared at the black opening. The chuckle grew louder, but for a while I could see nothing. At last I caught a whitish glimmer in the darkness. Then, with all the rapidity of nightmare, a monstrous thing emerged. It had a pale, hairless, egg-shaped body, large as that of a gravid she-goat. And this body was mounted on nine long, wavering legs, with many flanges, like the legs of some enormous spider. The creature ran past me to the water's edge, and I saw that there were no eyes in its oddly sloping face, but two knife-like ears rose high above its head, and a thin, wrinkled snout hung down across its mouth, whose flabby lips, parted in that eternal chuckle, revealed rows of bat's teeth. It drank acidly of the bitter lake, then, with thirst satisfied, it turned and seemed to sense my presence. But the wrinkled snout rose and pointed toward me, sniffing audibly. Whether the creature would have fled, or whether it meant to attack me, I do not know, for I could bear the sight no longer, but ran with trembling limbs amid the massive boulders and great bars of salt along the lake shore. Utterly breathless I stopped at last, and saw that I was not pursued. I sat down, still trembling in the shadow of a boulder. But I was to find little respite, for now began the second of those bizarre adventures which forced me to believe all the mad legends I had heard. More startling even than that diabolic chuckle was the scream that rose at my very elbow from the salt-compounded sand, the scream of a woman possessed by some atrocious agony, or helpless in the grip of devils. Turning, I beheld a veritable Venus, naked in a white perfection that could fear no scrutiny, but immersed to her navel in the sand. Her terror-widened eyes implored me, and her lotus hands reached out with beseeching gesture. I sprang to her side and touched a marble statue, whose carven lids were drooped in some enigmatic dream of dead cycles, and whose hands were buried with the lost loveliness of hips and thighs. Again I fled, shaken with a new fear, and again I heard the scream of a woman's agony, but this time I did not turn to see the imploring eyes and hands. Up the long slope to the north of that accursed lake, stumbling over boulders of bassanite, and ledges that were sharp with verdigris-covered metals, floundering in pits of salt on terraces wrought by the receding tide in ancient aeons. I fled as a man flies from dream to baleful dream of some cacodemoniacal night. At whiles there was a cold whisper in my ear, which did not come from the wind of my flight, and looking back as I reached one of the upper terraces, I perceived a singular shadow that ran pace by pace with my own. This shadow was not the shadow of man nor ape, nor any known beast. The head was too grotesquely elongated, the squat body too gibbous, and I was unable to determine whether the shadow possessed five legs, or whether what appeared to be the fifth was merely a tail. Terror lent me new strength, and I had reached the hilltop when I dared to look back again. But still the fantastic shadow kept pace by pace with mine, and now I caught a curious and utterly sickening odour, foul as the odour of bats who have hung in a charnel-house amid the mould of corruption. I ran for leagues, while the red sun slanted above the asteroidal mountains to the west, and the weird shadow lengthened with mine, but kept always at the same distance behind me. 
An hour before sunset I came to a circle of small pillars that rose miraculously unbroken amid ruins that were like a vast pile of potsherds. As I passed among these pillars I heard a whimper, like the whimper of some fierce animal, between rage and fear, and saw that the shadow had not followed me within the circle. I stopped and waited, conjecturing at once that I had found a sanctuary my unwelcome familiar would not dare to enter, and in this the action of the shadow confirmed me. The thing hesitated, then ran about the circle of columns, pausing often between them, and, whimpering all the while, at last went away and disappeared in the desert toward the setting sun. For a full half-hour I did not dare to move. Then the imminence of night, with all its probabilities of fresh terror, urged me to push on as far as I could to the north for I was now in the very heart of Yondo, where demons or phantoms might dwell, who would not respect the sanctuary of the unbroken columns. Now, as I toiled on, the sunlight altered strangely, for the red orb nearing the mounded horizon sank and smouldered in a belt of miasmal haze, where floating dust from all the shattered fanes and necropoli of Yondo was mixed with evil vapours coiling skyward from black enormous gulfs lying beyond the utmost rim of the world, in that light, the entire waste, the rounded mountains, the serpentine hills, the lost cities, were drenched with phantasmal and darkening scarlet. Then, out of the north, where shadows mustered, there came a curious figure, a tall man fully caparisoned in chain-mail, or rather, what I assumed to be a man. As the figure approached me, clanking dismally at each step on the sharded ground, I saw that its armour was of brass mottled with verdigris, and a cask of the same metal furnished with coiling horns, and a serrate comb rose high above its head. I say its head, for the sunset was darkening, and I could not see clearly at any distance, but when the apparition came abreast, I perceived that there was no face beneath the brows of the bizarre helmet, whose empty edges were outlined for a moment against the smouldering light. Then the figure passed on, still clanking dismally, and vanished. But on its heels, ere the sunset faded, there came a second apparition, striding with incredible strides, and halting when it loomed almost upon me in the red twilight. The monstrous mummy of some ancient king, still crowned with untarnished gold, but turning to my gaze a visage that more than time or the worm had wasted. Broken swathings flapped about the skeleton legs, and above the crown that was set with sapphires and orange rubies, a black something swayed and nodded horribly, but, for an instant, I did not dream what it was. Then in its middle two oblique and scarlet eyes opened and glowed like hellish coals, and two ophidian fangs glittered in an ape-like mouth. A squat, furless, shapeless head on a neck of disproportionate extent leaned unspeakably down and whispered in the mummy's ear. Then, with one stride, the titanic lich took half the distance between us, and from out the folds of the tattered seercloth a gaunt armour rose, and fleshless, taloned fingers laden with glowering gems reached out and fumbled for my throat. Back, back through aeons of madness and dread, in a prone, precipitate flight I ran from those fumbling fingers that hung always on the dusk behind me. Back, back forever, unthinking, unhesitating, to all the abominations I had left, back in the thickening twilight toward the nameless and sharded ruins, the haunted lake, the forest of evil cacti, and the cruel and cynical inquisitors of Ong, who waited my return. <laughs>